Our scripture reading for this preparatory message is Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verses 10 through 21. Hear the word of God. Matthew 12:10. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days, that they might accuse him? And he, Jesus, said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much, then, is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then saith he to the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth. And it was restored, whole, like as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and held a counsel against him, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, He withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him. And he healed them all, and charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him. And he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry. Neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break. And smoking flax shall he not quench. Till he send forth judgment unto victory. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. May God bless the reading of his sacred word. Dear church family, one of the major purposes for the Lord's Supper is to strengthen weak faith. Weak faith that is nevertheless true faith. And tonight, we want to focus particularly on that purpose from the text I wish to proclaim to you with God's help, Matthew 12, verse 20, these beautiful words, a bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench till he send forth judgment unto victory. And with God's help, I want to title this sermon, Christ Comforts You, Needy Believing Sinner. Christ Comforts You, Needy Believing Sinner. And three thoughts. First, by describing you. Second, by binding you up. And third, by leading you to victory. 
Christ comforts you, needy, believing sinner, by describing you, by binding you up, by leading you to victory. Our text tonight is actually part of a quotation. Matthew is gleaning from the prophet Isaiah, which describes the Messiah. In verse 18 of Matthew 12, we read, Behold, says the Father, my servant, whom I have chosen. Chosen for what? Well, chosen to save sinners is what the context teaches. My beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him. That is, I will give him this Messiah, my Holy Spirit, and that will endow him with all the necessary gifts and qualities he needs to do this task of saving sinners, even Gentile sinners. For the text goes on to say, he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. That is, he will save the poor heathen who live in spiritual darkness and ignorance. And then verse 19, the verse just before our text, goes on to say, He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. That's just a Hebraic way of saying, Jesus is not going to minister to save sinners to draw attention to himself, or to set up a political kingdom, or to be proud like the Pharisees. This is really contrasting him in this context to the Pharisees who are upset when he heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath day. And so what you have here really is a stark contrast between Jesus who reaches out to the poor and the needy and the Gentiles and the Pharisees who look down on the common people saying that, well, they don't know the law, they despise them, they're inferior, they didn't have tender feelings toward the poor and the afflicted. But Jesus is the opposite, Isaiah says. And Matthew gleans on that here, in the midst of this story of Jesus healing the man with a withered hand, and the Pharisees getting angry that he does so, angry that he pays attention to the poor and the needy. So the Pharisees have no compassion on the poor and needy. But Jesus does. Publicans, sinners, harlots, the worst kind of people, flock to Him and were received by Him. And so embedded in this passage of Scripture I read to you is really a description of many of the wonderful qualities our Savior has towards those who are unworthy of them, unworthy of his attention. And then the summary of it all is this. What kind of Savior is he? Well, the summary is this. He is one who will not break a bruised reed. He will not quench a smoldering smoldering wick. Or here in more old-fashioned words, a smoking flax. 
And these words have been used to comfort many weak believers, many needy believers throughout the ages, haven't they? Maybe some of you sitting here tonight, these words have been very special to you. It's, they're words that reach down at the lowest level and say Jesus is willing to care for the weakest believer, for the neediest believer, for the poorest Gentile who looks to him. But what do these words really mean? Well, a reed, let's look at a reed first. A reed, as you know, is a slender, frail plant that grows in marshes and swamps. And it's used here as a symbol of weakness and feebleness. A bruised reed is even feebler than a regular reed. It hangs its head, as it were. It's bruised. It can't stand without being propped up. Then as for smoking flax, the reference is probably to the wick, the wick of a candle or a lamp whose flame is almost put out. It still smokes a bit, and there's a little spark left, which can be blown into flame again or or rekindled, perhaps, by adding fuel. But both of these illustrations, the bruise reed, the smoking flax, both of them are emblems of the life of grace in a believer at its lowest ebb. These are poor, needy, weak believers that are symbolized here. They're weak in themselves. They're bowed down under a load of indwelling sin. And although the flame of love, divine love, has been kindled in their hearts, sometimes that flame seems so low, so flickering, so faint, that it looks as if it's going to expire at any moment. That's the picture we have in our text tonight. So let's take a little time to to look at these illustrations of the life of faith. And let's examine our own hearts if to, to know if we too have something of these things. If we too are at least bruised reeds and smoking flax in the kingdom of God. First then, this bruised reed. The bruised reed is, is weak, burdened, buffeted. In what way? Well, a believer, and you know what I'm talking about if you're a believer, can be bruised by trials, by afflictions, by discouragements, by diseases, but most of all by indwelling sin. A bruised reed is a picture of a believer who's not only weak, but feels that he's not what he ought to be. Do you feel that tonight? You're under this sense of indwelling sin, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life is still with you, even though you've perhaps 
had a time in your life where you felt the burden rolled off your back into the empty sepulcher and your sins were forgiven, you still feel crushed and bruised by renewal at times under this indwelling sin that oppresses you. You see, that took place, of course, when the Lord first began to work in your life and showed you who you were and convicted you of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. And you cried out, I have broken all of God's commandments. I'm worthy to perish. How am I, how am I ever going to make amends for all my sins? That's the bruising, the bruising work of the law in you by the Spirit, convicting you of the misery within you because of your sin. But also after you first come to Christ, as you traverse the way through Vanity Fair to the celestial city, you can experience a renewed bruising that you aren't what you ought to be, even despite the grace of God. The spirituality of the law becomes more real for you. And even as you grow in assurance that your guilt is atoned for, you're bruised over the wickedness of your internal being that you still have poverty permeating your sanctification. And so you feel weak. Weak in knowledge. How ignorant you feel sometimes in the things of God. You feel your experiential knowledge is even less than your head knowledge, which you often feel is rather weak too. And then you feel weak in faith so many times. Something happens to you, something distressful, and immediately you're plunged into unbelief. And you, you feel like it's hard sometimes to lay hold of Christ, to lay hold of His promises as much as you desire to do so. Then you feel weak in hope. You, you can't have that strong confidence when you're in the tunnel of affliction that you desire to have. Why? Why am I so weak? You look at other believers maybe who seem so strong in the midst of huge afflictions and you stumble over a small affliction. Maybe you feel weak in love. You know, you know God is so lovable. You know that each divine person is full of ever-flowing, overflowing love, but, but you're so weak, just weak in responding with love to this lovely God. There's so much in you that's deficient. And then you feel weak in repentance. There was a time when you repented so wholeheartedly and now it seems like your repentance is like in a fog. You, you can't, you don't have what the Puritans call compunction over sin. This deep piercing repentance crying out for mercy. And you're just kind of like treading water. And not making progress. Maybe even going backward. And you feel weak in prayer. If the Lord were to judge you on any day of your life, just by your prayers, you, you deserve to perish. In short, 
you feel weak in everything. You feel like a bruised reed. You have so little strength. Sometimes you know, sometimes you feel how little you have, and other times you're so weak you don't even hardly feel how weak you are. And yet, I've got good news for you. This is often the difference between a hypocrite and a true believer. Hypocrite thinks he's fine, thinks everything's fine. But a true believer often feels like a bruised reed. So take heart. Jesus is describing you, you tonight in this text. He knows your bruising, He knows your need. He knows you need the compassion of His big and great and beautiful heart. And He comes with this glorious promise. A bruised reed shall I not break. What a Savior. What a Savior. And He can make that promise because He suffered and dies. Died for every one of your sins. He's the strong one who became weak so that through His weakness you might be made strong in Him. But then there's also the description of the smoking flax. You see, this too describes you. There's so much in your soul that seems to be dying at times. Flickering, so faint, languishing. And you, you wonder, you wonder, am I really even a believer? If I was a believer, I'd be so much stronger. My flame would be so much brighter. You know that the Puritans speak of zeal as a white-hot flame for the Lord, and you just feel like you're not there so often. So much dirt and filth can be mixed with the flax, with, with, with the wick, that the flame only burns in a smoldering kind of way. Some biblical expositors here think that the flax refers to tow, which is a kind of a coarse part of the flax, or hemp, which is considered to be garbage or refuse and, and therefore is destroyed. And so the smoking flax refers really to the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of a sinner, but the toll would then be the filth and corruption of your old nature, the refuse of your remaining corruption that seeks to stifle out the flame of the life of God within you. And that fire that God Himself has kindled in you when He regenerates you by His Word and Spirit will never go altogether out. Your faith will not die. Remember Luke 22, 31 and 32, what Jesus promised to Peter. Your faith will not ever fully die, but it often looks like it will. And this burdens you, and rightly so. Being conscious of your inward corruption, your inward sin, you... You do hope you possess grace, but you mourn over your ongoing sin. A weak this flax is. And yet, you can't deny it. Your heart does go out to the Savior that He will have mercy on you. You do love His Word. 
You do love His cause. You do love His truth. You do love His day. You do love His people. You do love the Son of God. And so, beneath the smoking flax and the bruised reed character of your inmost soul, you do look forward to the Lord's day. You do look forward to coming to a strong Savior as a weak sinner and ask Him, strengthen my faith at Thy table, O Lord. But oh, those inward corruptions that just keep pecking away, hammering away, Satan biting the heel of your spiritual life, crowding into your mind, as it were, thoughts that are not honorable, and the cares of your daily life, the cares of your work, the myriads of sinful thoughts that crowd into your brain. If only you could say that all those temptations, all those trials came from outside of you, and you resisted them all for 100%, but they've simply overpowered you. You'd feel a bit better, but tragically, like Bunyan says in Holy War, tragically, you don't always fight those thoughts as you should. It's as if you leave a crack of an open door into the city of man's soul within you for vain imaginations and inward corruptions. And they threaten to suffocate the flame of faith. And yet, you're a mystery to yourself because the flame of faith doesn't ever completely die either. And so you, you fear, I'm, I'm lukewarm. I, he's going to spew me out of his mouth. I'm, I'm neither hot nor cold. I, my flame doesn't burn brightly, and yet there is a flame. And sometimes the, the wind of the Spirit does blow. And the flame does rise higher with faith and hope and love. And your joy does shine shine somewhat more brightly. Oh, for more of those days. And yet, so often those days are, are too far, too few between. I've got good news for you. This is not the life of an unbeliever. <laughs> unbeliever doesn't struggle with these things. Am I describing you tonight? Or do you say, well, no, no, that's not me. I'm above all that. I can, I can always believe. I've always got full, robust assurance. I, well, I did go through some troubles when I first came to know the Lord, but now I'm not bothered with my indwelling sin all that much anymore. Well, I hope you don't feel offended when you hear the Christian life described in the way that I'm describing it. But the more godly you are, the Bible teaches us, the more we will bemoan our indwelling sin, the more we will feel like Abraham, I'm but dust and ashes before thee. Jesus must increase. And I must decrease. And true spiritual life exalts Him and debases yourself. And yet, you want a renewal of joy. 
And you cry out, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Dear friend, the Lord's Supper is peculiarly designed for the people I've just described, which I hope is you. Because Jesus wants to come. He loves to minister to the weak faith of bruised reeds and smoking flax. He loves to strengthen them. Do you dare to say you're not a believer? Do you dare to say that your only hope is not Jesus Christ? Well, then, of course, you don't belong here. But can't you say tonight, though I'm so far from what I want to be, my only hope is in Jesus Christ. Can't you say with Peter tonight, though I don't love thee as I ought to love thee, Lord Jesus, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I do love thee. It's too weak, but it's there. And Jesus says, I won't, I won't destroy you. I won't cut off that bruised reed. I won't allow that smoking flax to stop smoking and burning. There is life there. In fact, I'll bind you up. And I'll bless you. I'll bless you under word and sacrament. A bruised reed shall, not maybe, shall he not break. And the smoking flax shall he not quench. This is a, a double negative that makes a strong positive. He will bless the bruised reed. He will bless the smoking flax. He will keep the feet of his saints. His preservation will guarantee your perseverance, dear believer. What a comfort. What a comfort. This is. When you feel like a bruised reed and smoking flax, you, you don't feel a lot of hope for yourself. But you know, Jesus' way with us is often to, to slay the hope in ourselves. It's hard to lose our own righteousness. But He does it out of love so that we live out of His righteousness. So that we look to Him for everything. He bruises us. It's His own work to bruise us. It's His own Spirit who applies the law to us. So we're convicted. So we're made to feel the burden of our guilt. Yes, you say, well, but I'm weak. But I've also wished in some ways I felt the weakness more because I don't feel it the way I ought to feel it. And yet the Spirit of God makes you feel it. You see. It was Christ Himself who reveals to you and to me how great our sins and miseries are. He makes us feel hopeless from our side. But He does that in love. He brings us to self-despair so that we may learn to lean as those bruised reeds need something to lean on. We learn to lean on Jesus alone. And one of the 
things he uses, one of the means he uses to prop us up, is the Lord's Supper, in which he comes very low to us, touches all our senses. We smell the elements, we, we hear the word, we touch, we taste, we see. He says, as surely as you partake, looking to me, so surely, so surely, I will bless you. And I will wash away all your sins. So the negative, he will not quench, he will not break, is actually a strong positive. He will come. He will bind you up. He will give you his healing ministry. Sometimes it's, it's one word in a sermon, maybe one sentence. Or maybe it's one verse in the Bible. Or maybe it's one line in the Psalter. Or maybe it's just that he comes in an unexpected way and overwhelms you with who he is. And your heart is set aflame again. And you see the bridegroom looking in through the lattice. You get a glimpse of him. You are encouraged in him. And you learn, you learn slowly, too slowly, step by step by step as it were, to trust him more, to enjoy him more, to just come back to that simple faith more and more. He died for me. He shed his blood for me. Amazing grace. How is it possible? The wonder of grace for bruised reeds and smoking flax breathes new life into our lukewarm souls. And he binds us up. And he, he, he does that. He does that through the word, through the sacraments. Now, as he does that work, it's not that we just sit passive and do nothing. One of the old Puritans said, we have to hoist the sails, but it's only the wind of the Spirit that can make the ship go. You see, we use the means, and we fail miserably and bring ourselves in more darkness when we don't use the means. So, when you are bruised reed and smoking flax, the question is not, should I come to the Lord's Supper or not? That just bring you in more darkness if you don't. The question is, how do I come to that supper? Looking to Jesus, so all my expectations on Him, and meditate on His sufferings and what He's done for bruised reeds and smoking flax, so that I, my, my poor soul can be lifted up into heavenly places and say, despite me, He loves me. Despite me, He has shed His blood for me. You see, this is how He binds you up. He empties you of you of yourself and he fills you with himself. And so the bread and the wine in the Lord's Supper don't point to anything of you, nothing of you, but all to him, his suffering, what he's done, who he is, symbols of his body and blood. And in those elements, he signifies and seals, seals to you that is surely as you partake, looking to Him, He will bind up your wounds. He will remove the burden of your guilt. He will feed you with Himself. He will bind you up. So come, poor sinner. Come, needy, believing sinner. Look to Jesus. 
in the midst of all your fears, all your weakness, all your doubts, all your poverty. Don't you believe in him? I know. If you're a bruised reed smoking flax, you do believe in him. You can't help but believe in him. There is no hope beside him. You have no one else to lean on. You have no one else to go to. And he is sufficient. And so though you daily have to contend with the enemy and the temptations of the devil, and it seems too often that that enemy will prevail, the enemy will not gain the victory. He may gain a few skirmishes, but he won't win the war because Jesus will not break the bruised reed. He will not quench the smoking flax. And so what does this text do? It guarantees us that Jesus has a special concern for the weakest members of his church, which is his body. Now think about the parallel here. When you... What do you do when you, a certain part of your body is very weak, very needy? You pay less attention to it or more attention to it? That's a rhetorical question. Of course you pay more attention to it. Because it's weak. The good shepherd, you know, the imagery in the Bible of Jesus, he, he, he takes the wounded lambs, he holds them in his bosom. The needy ones. And so, don't think that because you're needy, you need to stay away. That'd be the worst thing to do. Because you're needy, you come and you lean as a bruised reed upon Jesus. Listen to the Puritan Richard Sibbs. This is a wonderful paragraph. This sacrament, the Lord's Supper, was not ordained for angels, but for men. And not for perfect men, but for weak men. And not for Christ, who is truth itself, to bind him to his word. It was ordained because we are so inclined by reason of our guilty and unbelieving hearts to call his truth into question. The Lord's Supper was added by the Lord for our confirmation. He has left us many promises in his word, which should be enough for us to know that he is faithful and gracious. But realizing that we are so easily inclined to mistrust him and to question his sincerity, the Lord has not only given us his verbal assurances of his love, but also a visible token in the supper whereby he strengthens our faith. The Lord's Supper is a sign and a seal of Christ's never-failing faithfulness and abiding love to his weak people. That's it. Now, When we lean on Him in our weakness, He actually strengthens us in the inner man through Himself to make us more useful in His service. So, gradually, our assurance may grow in Him. And as it grows, you see, we become less preoccupied with ourselves and we become more occupied with Jesus. And that's what the Lord wants to do in the Lord's Supper. He wants to lift us up. He wants to strengthen us. He wants us to look to Him. 
He wants us to bring forth fruit, 30, 60, 100 full. He wants the flame of our faith, indeed, to burn more brightly. He, he says, this people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. So he binds us up with himself. He blows spark into our smoking flax through his word and sacrament, enabling it to be rekindled and to burn more brightly. And then he assures us through the sacrament that he will pardon us of our sin, that our portion is in him, that he is our Lord and he is our God. And as he binds us up this way, he guarantees our victory in himself. That's how the text ends. A bruised reed shall he not break, smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. The word judgment here could perhaps better be translated government, which seems like it doesn't make sense when you use that word. But what, what, what the Bible is saying here is that Jesus establishes his kingdom of grace in the hearts of all his people. And governors are, and government is related to what used to be called in the Old Testament judges and kings. And what's happening, you see, is Jesus delivers us from our own efforts to be our own kings. He brings us into his kingdom. He makes us kings and, and in submission unto his kingship so that his lordship prevails in us. And that's his goal to show us our weakness to show us our dependency upon Him so that we learn to bow under His kingship and become willing in the day of His power and resolve to live to His praise out of gratitude till He bring forth His government over us unto victory. We get victory when we submit unto Him. Now obviously this is a lifelong process that we have ups and downs with in a difficult process because our flesh always resists it. But gradually we grow. We grow, you see. We grow through self-denial, through plucking out of eyes and cutting off of hands if need be. But it's a growing that learns to crucify sin and mortify sin. A growing that, that, that issues in, in victory. And though we don't get the complete victory here, We do get many moments of victory and we get a growing in victory and a growing more and more in realizing our life is hid with Christ in God. And He's our help, our shield. He's our king, our prophet, our priest. And we look forward then to the day, don't we, dear believer, when we will be completely delivered from all the weakness, from all the infirmities, the shortcomings, the corruption, the filth. When we will no more have to say, I'm a bruised reed and smoking flax. And every hindrance to our spiritual growth will be removed as we come into the celestial city. And all shall be well. There, and we will be perfectly holy there. And Christ, who has dealt with the devil already on Calvary and dealt a sin blow, a death blow rather, to sin, he will, he will in that day grant us to be sin free in Emmanuel's land through his victory. 
This is God's way of leading His people. You know, on June 6, 1944, it was D-Day in Normandy. You recall Normandy, France, when the Allied troops landed there to defeat the enemies of Hitler. And though many people didn't realize it at that day, this day was really the end of Hitler's power. Though the war wasn't over immediately, it would take yet another year almost. The decisive battle that was fought was in Normandy. That's where Hitler's strength was broken. And in retrospect, we realize that the rest of the war was merely a mopping up operation. Cleaning up the remaining strength of Nazi Germany. And that's similar, similar to the work of Christ. Calvary, Calvary marks D-Day, Victory Day. And the time that remains between D-Day and the second coming of Christ is a time of a mopping up operation where Christ cleans out the pockets of resistance in our lives. Those pockets of resistance that still lend some credence to the remaining strength of Satan. But it's important, you see, that in the Lord's Supper... And in our daily lives, we realize this. We're not fighting a lost cause. We are not on the side of a loser, despite our weakness. We're on the side of a victor who's already obtained the victory. Judgment unto victory. That's what the Lord's Supper shows us. And that to all of our, through all of our senses. We see it, we smell it, we hear it, we taste it, we feel it. And so the Apostle Paul could say to the Ephesians, in turmoil, when they looked at Nero on the throne with so many enemies facing them every day, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. You see, you trust in Christ and His victory and all shall be well. This is a command of Paul to the Ephesians. The weak the needy, the smoking, are to do this in remembrance of Christ. And then we get the victory, you see. Partially here, sure. But it's guaranteed. Satan is already a defeated foe. Now, if you're an unconverted person, of course, and all of what I said tonight seems strange to you, you can't, you can't identify with it experientially. Of course, you must not go to the Lord's Supper. You're not ready for that. The Lord's Supper is for the people of God. Not for those who are strangers of grace. But you can go and you should go. Actually, you must go to the Lord with your problem. And say, Lord Jesus, I've heard, I've heard tonight who thy people are. They're often like bruised reeds and smoking flax. And Lord, I'm afraid that I've never experienced any of these things. Sin is not even that much of a burden to me. Be honest with God. Tell Him the truth. And say, Lord, to my shame, sin is something I I rather like. But I know, I know it will destroy me. And I pray Thee, go against my nature. 
Begin thy saving work in me. Teach me what sin is, so that I may learn to hate it and flee from it. Take me the way I am, lost and undone, and make me as thou wilt have me to be, a humble, contrite sinner pleading for mercy. God can save you too. God can save you too. If He can save the prodigals and the prostitutes of His own day, why couldn't He save you? Why couldn't He? The Pharisees complained of Jesus. This man receiveth sinners. And we rejoice. This man receiveth sinners. They were horrified that He passed them by and went to sinners. When we become sinners, we rejoice that He doesn't pass us by. He invites us as sinners to come just as we are. He's able. He tells us. He promises us to save to the uttermost all who come unto God by Him. So if you're unsaved tonight, go to your home tonight. Get down by your bed and cry out for mercy. He's a Savior who delights in mercy. But maybe you say, you know, you did describe me tonight. I am a bruised reed. I am smoking flax. But I don't think the Lord's worked in me at all, despite what you said. And so you're saying with John Newton, aren't you? Tis a point I long to know. Oft it causes anxious thoughts. Do I love the Lord or no? Am I His or am I not? Well, that's a very important question. Daniel Herbert. You know, he actually answered Newton's poem with his own poem. And I want to read that to you before we close tonight. What is this point you long to know? This is Herbert. Methinks I hear you say, tis this. I want to know I'm born of God, an heir to everlasting bliss. I want to feel more love to Christ. I want more liberty in prayer. But when I look within my heart, it almost drives me to despair. Is this the point you long to know? The dead can neither feel nor see. It is a slave that's bound in chains that knows the work of liberty. So where a want like this is found, I think I may be bold to say that God has fixed within thy heart what hell can never take away. However small shall thy grace appear, there is plenty in thy living head. These wants you feel, my Christian friend, were never found amongst the dead. Come to Jesus and say, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Amen. Gracious God, please reach the poor, the needy, the bruised reeds, the smoking flax, and draw them to thyself unto victory. Through thy promises, through thy word, through thy supper, through all the means of grace, so that 
we might say, yes, yes, Lord. These wants I feel were never found amongst the dead. I too am invited as a bruised reed and a smoking flax to come and lean hard on Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.